Thank you, Chris. Um, good morning. Nice to see y'all. Um, Linda and I have walked through one of the deepest valleys that we've ever walked through in the 50 plus years that we've been married. And um, the good part about it is, is that you walked with us through it. And as we are now on the other side, looking back at at least the surgery part, um, we celebrate, we celebrate God's goodness, and you get to celebrate with us because you were part of that, that trip through us. And we are so grateful for your care and for your prayer uh, during these last, uh, well, at first they told us, well, maybe six months, come back in six months. Then they said, well, you better come back in three months, okay. Now you better come back in three weeks, okay. Now we're going to do the surgery. So that's just kind of how that telescoped up for us. And, uh, but we are grateful. Uh, she's at home. She's going to be home for a few weeks. But uh, we're grateful that she is recovering. As we describe it, you go down through the valley and she bounced on the bottom and now she's starting back up. And I think we both are. So thank you again for going with us. And you get to celebrate with us because God is good and you went with us through it. And it's when we go through things together that then we get to celebrate those victories together. So we're grateful for that. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at Philippians 3, first 11 verses, <clears throat> which you can turn to. And I don't have slides this morning. We, we got home uh, Friday night about 7.30, I guess it was. 6.30, I guess it was. So uh, I don't have slides this morning. There were handouts if you want to follow those. I think they'll be clear enough both from the text and also from what I'm saying uh, to be able to help you to fill in those blanks. And if not, you come up afterwards and I'll tell you what was in the blank that you missed. But I, I want to uh, ask you, do you have a testimony that's, that's readily available to you? Could you give your testimony in one minute? Could you give your testimony in three minutes? Could you tell your story of coming to Christ in one minute or three minutes? And I want to help you do that this morning. By the end of the sermon this morning, I want to give you the way to do it, the way to set up your story, to tell it in such a way that you can use it as a tool for witnessing. And what we have found in our ministry is when you're ready and you know what you're going to say, the Lord opens up way more opportunities for you to be able to say it. When we don't know what we're going to say, we don't even look for those opportunities. So if I can help you get this tool ready, there are some other tools as well, but if I can help you get this tool ready, then I believe that God will open up opportunities for you to use this tool, your story, to be able to share the message of the gospel. Now, uh, how many of you have heard the kind of testimony that says something like, the dramatic testimony that says something like, I used to be uh, my life used to be ruled by drugs, using drugs, and, uh, and then I met Jesus, and now I help people who've been in drugs, and I'm no longer on drugs. You ever heard a story like that? Or, or I used to be homeless, or, or I used to be uh, an alcoholic, and, and I met Jesus, and, and now I help people who are homeless. I mean, you know, honestly, sometimes do you wish you had a story like that do you wish that you'd had a life like that so that you could have one of those kinds of dramatic stories? 
I hope not. <clears throat> My story. I was raised in a, not a Christian home, but a pastor's home who loved the Lord Jesus, served the Lord Jesus all his life. Uh, by the time he died, he'd been in pastoral ministry, basically in, pa in ministry for 65 years. And uh, so we knew the gospel very early on, uh, but I don't know that it really hit me, that, that I really understood how it impacted me. Because I went through my life basically drifting. I had just, uh, I might, let's, let's have some fun, uh, but let's do it in, in the right way. Uh, I didn't want to study. I don't know of anybody that didn't want to study. I mean, everybody else wants to study. My brother and my sister were all straight A students, and I was a straight D student for a while, which I thought was doing well. I thought that's what, I thought that's what D stood for, was doing well. It turns out it wasn't. But my grades were too low to get into college. And I went to a Bible school. Now, this is after high school. I went to a Bible school. And it was after my first year of Bible school that the Lord got a hold of me. And I began to know what it was to walk with Jesus. And while I said, you know, the one thing I do not want to do, Lord, are you listening? I do not want to become a pastor. I also celebrate that God, by his grace and in his faithfulness and to his glory, gave me the grace to be a pastor for 45 years. So that's, that's my testimony and what I want to do this morning is to show you um, that even as uh, maybe my testimony sounds boring to you, I want us to look at, at Paul's testimony in Philippians chapter 3. And I want you to see if you think Paul's testimony is, is boring or if it's dramatic. Uh, see which it is. Philippians chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 1. Now Paul has two purposes in telling his testimony here. One is, and he's going to introduce it in the first verse, he's to warn the, the, the church about false teachers, and about the false gospel. Uh, the false gospel is putting confidence in what I do. And then secondly, he wants to continue to model his humility that he is saved by grace and to show that that humility, again, is for the sake of the unity of the, mess, of the church uh, in, in advancing the gospel. So follow along as I read the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers... Uh, what he actually means here is uh, another thing. He's not really ending because it sounds like a, a pastor who's preaching and says, my last point, and then he has four more points after that. But I don't do that, so neither does Paul. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But, this is one of those big buts in the Bible. This is one of those right here as Paul changes. But, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Father, by your spirit, help me to speak in a way that you can use to show us Jesus, that you can use by your spirit, by your word, to combine together in your people to bring about honor and glory to you as our lives are adjusted to what you have for us so that we can become effective lights in this community and beyond to the ends of the earth. May Jesus Christ be praised. I ask it in his name. Paul has called for the unity of all, the entire church as one for the sake of the gospel. And he's put such an emphasis on that so far in this letter that you would almost ask the question, well, so then does nothing else matter? Uh, it's, just, it's just everybody in. And uh, Paul says, uh, no, that, that's not true. There is something that's very important in this unity, and this passage shows, in fact, that some people are to be excluded from the church. Left out of the church, outside of the church. So let's begin to work through the verses. Finally, to the Greeks this meant another thing, and, and he changes his tone here to warn about false teaching. He wants to remind them. He says, to write the same things is no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. And then in verses 2 and 3, he looks at the character of the false teachers. So if you wanted to, if you're one of those who marks your Bible, I would encourage you to do this. You could circle what's the false teachers and then underline the things that are the true teachers to be able to understand and see visually those things. Um, what do these phrases mean? Well, the first one, he calls them the dogs. Look out for the dogs. Now, how many here have dogs at home? couple of you, we don't either, but um, he's not talking about that kind of dog. He's not talking about the cuddly little lap dog or the, the other kind of dog that you have in your home. He's not talking about that kind of a dog at all. What he's talking about here is, a, it's a derogatory term for people who were despised, who were unclean. They called the Gentiles dogs. That's what he's talking Watch out for them. Those evildoers who mutilate the flesh by circumcision they would cut the physical body without godliness versus the true circumcision which is not circumcision of the flesh but circumcision of the heart galatians 6 even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation or he says, the other thing that characterizes the true disciple is the worship by the Spirit of God. John 4, 23, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So one of the characteristics of those who are true, who are a part of the message of the gospel and part of the true church, is that they 
um, they have a circumcision of the heart and that they worship God by the Spirit of God. And then the other characteristic is that they glory in Christ Jesus or they give Christ Jesus the credit for their salvation. And we'll, we'll continue to develop that as, as Paul does. And the other side of that is they put no confidence in the flesh. They take no credit for themselves. There is nothing about what I did, but what Jesus did for me, for my salvation. That's what I'm trusting in, nothing that I did. Now, Paul uses this very strong language about these false teachers, and that shows that he says, what, what I'm about to tell you, the truth that I'm about to tell you is really important. I want you to understand, look at those false teachers. Look at those false teachers as, as dogs. Paul's extra aware because these teachings were very similar to the kinds of teachings that he used to believe, his former way of life, his past thinking. They may have been a factor in the division in the Philippian church, although Paul doesn't say that. So let's go through some of these phrases. What does it mean to have confidence in the flesh? It means that to believe that what we do, whether it's circumcision, whether it's religious deeds, whether it's go to church, whether it's read the Bible, whether it's uh, volunteering at a shelter or, or building houses, that what I do is enough to make me pleasing before God, to save me. Paul says we put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in anything that we have done. Zero confidence. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This, even this faith does not come from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that, you know what the rest of it is? So that no one can boast. You see, if we stand before God and say, well, God, I think you should save me because I, that's works. That's boasting in what we have done. That's taking credit for it. The strength of, for some of you who know, the strength of the Calvinist or the reform position is that it is an attempt to give all the credit to God. Titus 3.5, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It was nothing that we did. It was totally because of God's mercy that we're saved. Now, Paul continues to warn them by giving, him his own, giving them his own testimony, verses 4 through 9. Now, if I were to put my testimony kind of in Paul's language here, I would say, well, I, I had the advantage of being born into a country where the gospel is freely, freely preached, uh, at, at a time when the gospel was freely preached, <laughs> many years ago. Um, I was born into the home of Christian parents who, who lived it and preached it. Now, as Paul tells his testimony, look at the advantages that he says that came even just from his birth. He was born into a devout family. He was circumcised on the eighth day. They were a devout Jewish family. They obeyed the rules. He was born of the nation of Israel. He was not a descendant of Ishmael. He was not a descendant from any other nation. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was not, that, that was one of the two tribes that really survived as a tribe after the return from the exile. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews in his education, in his language, and in his customs. And he was a Pharisee. Now, no matter what we usually think of Pharisees, they were loyal to the law. And Paul was loyal to the law. In addition to the advantages of his birth, look at the accomplishments that he lists. He persecuted the church. Now, to us, that looks like a disadvantage. But to Paul, as a Jewish person, that was an advantage. He persecuted the church. He tried to put in prison Christians, followers of Jesus. He tried to get them killed. That was what his goal was. And then he says that, was, that showed his devotion, that showed his zeal to uh, what he was about in his religious life. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
Now, don't think that Paul's claiming here that he was sinless or that he was perfect, but what he's saying is no one could accuse him of ever breaking the law. Regarding the law, he was blameless. So, all right, Paul, that's the before. Now, what do you think of the things that you used to be most proud of? Verses 7 and 8. What I used to count to my advantage, I now count as loss. In fact, I count everything as loss. For his sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Now, this word rubbish is a, a word that really means waste or dung or manure or throw away. All that he used to list that counted for his advantage as where he was born and what he tried to do, he now counts it as throw it away. Get rid of it. It's no good at all. What replaced those things in his thinking? For he threw it all away for the sake of Christ the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Instead of self at the center of his life, now Jesus Christ is at the center of his life. He has a righteousness now that comes from faith. What does Paul mean by that I may gain Christ? He's talking about here his salvation, that he may be in the same position as Jesus Christ, that no longer does God see him or does God see us who are in Christ. He, no longer does he see us as us. He sees us as in Christ, and he treats us the same way that Christ is treated. I want to gain Christ. What does he mean by saying to know Christ Jesus my Lord? He's talking here about sanctification. His new goal is not a zeal for the law. It's not a zeal for self. His new goal is to become like Christ in every way, as a person and as an example. He goes on to gain the power of his resurrection, both for when I die and for while I'm alive. I want to share as a partner with Jesus, not only in his death, but in his suffering. He is, Jesus Christ is no less than our Savior, but he's also become everything to Paul. Everything about him, he wants it to be about Jesus Christ. And so look at Paul's life now. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to actually share his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death so that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, what does Paul mean by that? It's not that he's doubting that he would be raised at the time of the resurrection, whether, whether he lives or whether he dies, depending on what happens in the, the verdict in Rome as a martyr. No matter how he dies, he knows he will be part of the resurrection from the dead. And all you have to do is go back to chapter 1, verses 20 to 25 and see which I'm sure you remember my sermon on that. So, you know. Um. Now, what I want you to see here is that Paul's story, Paul's testimony, fits a biblical pattern for testimony. Um, he says, I was. Here's who I was. I was trying to do all I could to be pleasing to God. I was using all my birth advantages. I had confidence in who I was and in what I did. That was my flesh. But now I was, now I am. I am now all about Jesus. I trust his righteousness for my salvation. I'm not depending on myself at all. I want to take advantage of being Jesus' partner. What made the difference between I was and I am? What made the difference between those two? You want to take a guess? I heard that from outside in the foyer. He met Jesus. 
He met Jesus. That's the difference between the two. In fact, uh, there are several times in the book of Acts that he talks about. Three times Paul tells his testimony. But, but you see the pattern that he has here. I was, I am, the difference is Jesus. That but in between, here's the difference between who I was and who I am. It's that same pattern that is used as a testimony several times. One of my favorites is John chapter 9, verse 25. You remember the story in John chapter 9? I'll tell it to you. There was a man who was born blind, and the disciples said, well, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, well, it wasn't for either of them that sinned. It wasn't the, he's not blind because somebody sinned. He's blind so that the works of God could be shown through him. And Jesus healed him. And so then the Pharisees came, oh, by the way, it was the Sabbath. Okay? That was a problem to the Jewish leaders. So they came and saw this man, uh, and, well, wait a minute, who healed you? When did he heal you? He healed you on the Sabbath. Well, he must be some kind of a sinner if he's healing on the Sabbath. And here's what the man said. He said, I don't, I don't think he was a sinner, but I don't know. I mean, you're the experts on that. All I know was, I used to be blind, now I can see, and the difference is Jesus. And that's the pattern for the story, for our story, for our testimony. I used to be blind, now I can see what happened in between was Jesus. You see how Paul's testimony fits into his I want to go back to the big context of the, of the whole book here. His humility says, there's nothing about me. There's nothing about what I've done, but it's only what Christ did for me. And it's what he, what now Paul says, it's what I want to do for Christ. That's what my life's about. And I think what he's saying is, I'm going to just keep picking on these elders because they keep staying on, sitting on opposite sides here and I just can't help it. just fits the pattern here. If only these two would look at, I'm really talking about Yodia and Syntyche, but what I'm really talking about here is if these two were all about what Christ was about, there would be unity. And if these two had the same kind of humility that Paul's talking about in his testimony here, there would be unity. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. What would that do to that separation between, now I know these two men, they get along very well, they, they have to but because I would make them otherwise but uh, I mean it's, it's right here but the common goal is the gospel and when the gospel is I'm broken because I have nothing in myself and it's all about Jesus that's what brings people together that's what brings about that kind of unity and that kind of unity is what will advance the gospel um, and then and then the warning about the teachers who add to what Christ has done whether it's circumcision whether it's you need to go to church if you're going to be a Christian. You need to serve others. You need to watch out for this. It's no confidence in the flesh. Nothing what I've done, nothing what I have done at all. I take no credit for it at all. I don't think anybody here in this room would say this morning, well, I'm a Christian because I was born in America. I'm a Christian because my parents went to church. I'm not an atheist, I'm not a Muslim, so therefore I must be a Christian. Let me say this, I wish I could sit with every single one of you individually and go over this message of the gospel and to make sure that you personally have a faith in Jesus Christ and are saved by the grace of God. I, I want that for every single one of you. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've attended church, no matter how long you've attended Grace Evangelical Free Church or an Evangelical Free Church, none of that counts. Not 
what you've done in church, what positions you've had in church. Are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus? So I ask you this morning, ask yourself, would you ask yourself, am I a follower of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus because of the grace of God? Or if I were to stand before God, would I even be tempted to say, God, you need to let me into your heaven. You need to save me because I did this, because I went to church, because I, even because I prayed the prayer. That's anything that we would say, that's boasting. And that's not by grace. So what's your story? What's your story this morning? Every single person who is a believer in Jesus Christ has a before and after. Every one of us have a, a before I was saved and an after I met Jesus and was saved and the difference between the two is Jesus. Every one of us have that, have that story. A couple of things. No one is as lost as the person who thinks he's not lost. I'm going to say that again. I don't know if I made that up, but I didn't read it somewhere this week anyway. No one is as lost as the person who thinks he's not lost. Now, you can go with one of two extremes. Now, we're going to talk about this. Some people might think, well, I'm, I'm too good. I don't need to be saved. I have all these things, all these things that we put confidence in the flesh. I don't need to be saved. I want you to look at what Paul thought. I mean, if, if any list that we would have would compare with his list, it just doesn't compare at all. But what Paul thought was that he was blameless. Now, again, that's not saying that he was perfect, but what he says is, even though I was blameless in, in terms of the law, now I know and my pursuit is I want to know Jesus. Next week's sermon is entitled, We're Not There Yet. So we'll look at the rest of chapter 3 when, when we're saying, I want to pursue after Jesus. Some people would describe their before. I'm going to go through several before and after. And now you'll see why we didn't do the identifiers. Not only because Chris forgot them, but because I, I, I wanted it worked in here anyway. So uh, think of it this way. Some people would describe life before Christ as, I, I felt like I was an orphan. My father abused me. My mother was an alcoholic. My grandmother died. I felt like I was all alone. That's the before. And Jesus changed me so that now I am... Ah, even though I was gone for a week, you still got it. I am a child of God. Do you see how that changes it? Or, I feel alone. I feel like I have no friends. I feel like no one cares about me. And I met Jesus, who is my best friend and who sticks closer than a, follow, than a, than a brother. I am a follower of Jesus. Some people feel like, well, I'm, I'm too dirty. I've done too much that's bad. And then I met Jesus who died to wash me so that now I am. There's, there's hand motions with these. Okay, so I am child of God. I am follower of Jesus. I am temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you want to see if you can guess what the next one is? Others feel like I, I, I've got habits that I just can't break. I wish I could change and I've tried, but I cannot. I met Jesus and now I am Set free by his grace. Set free by his grace. For other people, it's, nope, I've, I've done too much. I'm too bad to be saved. 
but again, look at Paul's testimony. He persecuted, he, he killed the followers of Jesus. Is there anybody in here who has done worse than that, who has killed the followers of Jesus? But like Paul, I have met Jesus, and I am forgiven by his cross. That's the next one. That's this week's. I am forgiven by his cross. You make a cross with your arms like this, okay? So I am forgiven by his cross. For some people, the before is I felt like I was lost. felt like my life was empty. This would be very much my story. I felt like I had no idea of any purpose in life. Why am I here? And then when I met Jesus, um, he gave me purpose, and my purpose now fits into all of eternity. My purpose now, when, when God began everything, in the beginning, when he began everything, he's also going to end everything over here. And where I am, do you remember the first time I preached here and we did the living, uh, the living timeline with uh, Adam and, and Abraham and, and David, and, and we did that? And we said, you know, here we are. We are in God's eternal purpose. We are on God's mission, which is to reach the entire world. So if you want something significant for your life, here it is. And here is, here's, here's what the next one is. Um, I am instructed by, by his word. And you pull on our ear for that one. That'll be our, our motion. And again, this is next week, so, you know, but we're going to give you a preview of it. I'm instructed by his word, which puts me on his mission, which puts me right in today. What's today? Today's February 20th, 2022, and I'm here and I'm alive. I have purpose. And my purpose fits into God's eternal plan, and my purpose fits into his purpose for the entire world. You can't get a bigger purpose in life than that. So I'm instructed by his word. Everywhere you go, make disciples. Or some people say, yeah, but my life doesn't matter. I'm, I'm too small. I'm too insignificant. That would be the before. And then I met Jesus, and now, and we'll, we'll do the standing up. I'm on his mission today. I'm on his mission today. I have a place in that eternal and that universal place that God has for me. Or somebody would say, before I met Jesus, I had no hope. I had given up on hope. And then I met Jesus, and my hope is in his return. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. My hope is in his return. Some people feel would describe their life before as empty something's missing, like a thirst that never gets satisfied. And then I met Jesus, who describes himself as the living water, the one who gives water and then you never get thirsty again. What an incredible description. Or a hunger. Some people feel like my life would be described as a hunger. I, I eat, but it never satisfies. Or I, I do this, and it, and it tastes good for a while, but then it goes away again, and I need to eat again, and it's... it's uh, it tastes good only for a few moments. And I met Jesus, and Jesus is the bread of life. The food for your soul, for your soul that satisfies for life. Or somebody might describe their life as, before Jesus, I felt lost. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the way. Finish the verse. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me, his way. My life was really without purpose, without peace. Um, that would be something, there was always something, something missing, something wrong in my life. 
when I tell the gospel, this is how I would tell the gospel. And I, I have a mu music background, and so I use the harmony uh, as a picture for, for, um, for explaining the gospel. When God created the world, he created everything in perfect harmony. The man was in perfect harmony with God. He was in perfect harmony with his wife. Can you imagine what that would be like? It says that the two of them were, there was nothing between them. The, the husband is, there was absolute perfect harmony between the man and nature, between man and creation. There was absolutely perfect harmony. And there was perfect harmony of man with himself. He was content within himself. He knew exactly what his purpose was, what his life was about. Man was created in perfect harmony. With one rule, don't eat from that one tree. You can eat from all the other trees in the garden, don't eat from that one tree. And you know the story, they ate from that one tree. And that harmony was broken. No longer were they in union with God, they were separated from God. No longer were they in unity with each other, they were blaming each other. It was her fault. It, actually, it was God's fault. It was the woman you gave me. That was her fault. That's why I did that. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have done it except for her fault. There was a break between their, their harmony with the earth. There were weeds that would spring up, and work was going to be hard from that point on. And there was dis, a broken harmony with self. There was a guilt that, that just wouldn't be able to be dealt with. That broke that harmony. When Jesus came and he died on the cross... He made restoration to that harmony possible. Back to harmony with God, back to harmony in unison. I'm getting unison and unity put together into one word and it doesn't work. Unison, unity in the church, in the body of Christ. And one day Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to restore perfect harmony with this creation, with this world. And that harmony with self of a relationship with God where there is nothing between us. And I no longer have that guilt. I'm no longer separated from God. I have that unity, that harmony again in my relationship with God. So your assignment, should you choose to accept it, Mission Impossible, for some of you, you think it is, I want you to write your testimony this week. And you can do it in three sentences. I was. It could be any one of those words. If you picked up the handout, there are several of those words written out there. I was, I am, and the difference is Jesus. And I encourage you to do that. To, to, uh, mine was, I, I was without purpose, and now I'm on Jesus' mission, and I know Jesus. People today want real. They want your story to be real. They want your story to be real to you. If you know what your story is, and you can do it in three or four sentences, or you can do it in a minute and explain to them the message of the gospel that, Everybody was created, or God, God created the world in harmony with himself, and sin broke that harmony. Jesus died to restore that harmony, and he will restore it for the whole world. The message of the gospel. My friends, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about knowing him. It's all about living life for him and being about him in our lives. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, what an incredible privilege we have to know that you are not only the, the God of the universe and the, the, uh, the one with authority over the heavens and the earth, but you know us individually, and while our salvation is not just about us, it's about you, but when it is about you, that makes it even more right for us. 
So I pray for each one here this morning. My, my prayer would be that there would be not one person who would walk out of this room this morning who would not know for certain that their relationship with Jesus Christ is for salvation and for living their life for the glory of Jesus. That's what I want, and that's what I want for each person here. May Jesus Christ be praised in our lives. We ask it in his name.